by Playfair Capital. Rethink the way you live and work. Hello and welcome to The Chess Bit, the podcast where three guys talk about chess occasionally. I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend Phil Makepeace. Good morning. And my other good friend, Robin Sarvas. Hello, everyone. How the hell are we doing, chaps? Well, Robin sounds like a rock star, so maybe we should go to him first. (laughs) Yeah, I've... uh... combination of uh, being very unwell and um, downstairs floors being redone so I can't even get into the kitchen to have a coffee and I may have stayed up quite late watching the opening night of the NBA last night so that beautiful cocktail has lined me up for my my, uh, opening appearance today Does this mean we now have to talk about basketball instead of football now now that you're here? No, I might actually listen for a change then. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you supporting this season, Robin? Uh, well, the Toronto Raptors, as always, are my team. Being an outsider to the NBA, being not American, uh, I sort of feel empathy towards the uh, the one Canadian basketball team. But then there's a few other interesting teams um, in the league this year. I kind of want probably the Bucks. To, the Bucks are the most likely team to beat the Brooklyn Nets in the East. And so I'm kind of behind them for that. I don't really want the Nets to win. You, you are a US f- sports fan, Phil. Are you an NBA follower? I, I dabble. Um, mine would be the Pistons. But uh, as ever, all Detroit teams are generally terrible. So, I mean, the Lions so far are 0-6 in the NFL, which is always a pleasure, you know. Uh, <laughs> we've been very unlucky this season at points but yeah supporting all the Detroit teams as ever comes with uh, just a modicum of um, fear and loathing and sadness which is what all sports following should be right that's the the general attitude of sports fans if you're not feeling fear and loathing and sadness then are you really a sports fan at all the, uh, the Detroit Pistons got the number one pick in the draft this summer, which obviously means that they had to have been a shower last year. So yep. that does align with what uh, with what Phil was saying there. But uh, it's exciting. Cade Cunningham, he uh, should be good at basketball. So that'll be a change for most of the players that the Pistons are rolling out. Hmm. Phil, how are you? I'm okay. Half term oh, coming up. So you're living so a I'm... life of leisure. <laughs> well, living a life of something. I'm not sure what what leisure it's going to be. I've got, I do have my first improv performance like next week uh, mm. f- since February 2020. And it's actually getting kind of like aggy amongst my uh, course mates because we're all a bit nervous about... I mean, it's, it's difficult for everyone, right? Everyone's come back to it after 18 months off. And in seven weeks, we're supposed to then be not just at the point where we were before, but at a better point. So it's been, it's been interesting within the group. Um, yeah, little bits and little bits of needle and niggle. But I think everyone's just nervous. It'll be fine on the night. It always is. It doesn't matter. I did nearly ask you if you can prepare for an improv performance, but um, I guess that's not in the not in the spirit, right? Well, you prepare. You prepare the. Uh, the types of scene you're going to do so you just get loads of these go scene 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 in like three person scene four person scene two person scene etc so you can do do it that way prepared topics and stuff like that no you can't 
Wow. Just preparing stage presence and things of that ilk. Well, I can see why you might be nervous if the only prep you have is we shall have a two-person scene. Off we go. I mean, yeah. That's about as much prep as we've done today. So <laughs> this is actually an improv podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's a three-person scene today. Uh, so I hope you guys are, are okay with that one. Let's let's segue into Hugh's views in the in the hope that it will stop me having to pretend to be a tiger. So uh, for you guys who don't know, Hugh is Hugh Breakin. Hugh is the lead singer of Spylaw. Spylaw sing our theme tunes. And Hugh has views, and this week's view from Hugh is... The quality of James Bond films and the quality of James Bond film themes is more strongly correlated than it has any real right to be. I feel like all all big Hollywood films, especially like anything sort of attached to the action genre, are just the same. Like they're all just sort of so like kind of slick and produced, and it just reminded me of like an Avengers film, or I don't know. It was really a uh, really like Blade Runner twenty forty nine as well, and just some of its aesthetic. Um, I thought it was like watchable. It was it was fine. I thought. Daniel Craig was surprisingly good, considering that he said that he would rather slash his wrists than do another one after a, after the previous movie. I didn't think the theme was good, actually. I enjoyed the Billie Eilish. So what, what was it like watching someone with slit wrists go around doing crime? Not crime, doing spying. <laughs> same thing, innit? Same thing. Yeah, I, I, I guess I largely concur with, with, with Robin... Uh, in insofar as like I don't know, may, I, I almost feel as though like culture, like film culture is going through a bit of a blandification moment where you, there doesn't seem to be that much willingness to be creative. It yeah. seems as though we're doing like loads of remakes and loads of reruns, loads of like reinventions, and and no one's really pushing the boat out in the mainstream anyway. Um, obviously, there there's still that sort of periphery of 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 more interesting cinema which will always be there but uh, I don't know enough about the film industry to know how all that side of it works but I suspect it's becoming more and more risky to to make those kind of films or certainly more and more more and more less and less profitable I guess is the way of saying it but well, well there's a handful of films basically just the big box office, box office occasions which sort of prop up the rest of the mainstream movie industry right and so there's sort of there is I think a desire to be very safe with those, but uh, we came out of the um, out of it, and 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 yeah, people I was with said they just felt like they'd seen that movie before because it did just really feel like the last few. Um, it, it's they've become very um, narrativized across them now. They they sort of more seem to be more concerned with like an overarching theme than just an individual. Like I kind of long for a Bond film, which is just a, like a nutter who wants to th- take the world hostage with a big space laser uh, and stuff. And, we miss Sean uh, you know, Bean. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, Golden Eyes is certainly the high watermark for me uh, in terms of uh, in terms of Bond movies. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Back to Hughes thing. I don't know if I agree on the themes uh, thing. I think it obviously it's all a matter of taste, isn't it? But I think Skyfall's a bit overrated. But then I get I actually don't really rate the Adele song either. So um, the world is not enough is my favourite Bond theme. And that's an absolutely appalling film. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, I do think it's interesting, like the the cultural shift that we've seen 
through the eyes of the the, the Bond franchise, I suppose. Mm. In that we obviously went through that moment where I mean, obviously James Bond is hashtag problematic in certain ways, right? In terms of mm. the original Bonds, um, there's like and and even like I don't know, even watching this newest one, the idea of like a an aging man sort of getting off with women half his age does feel a little bit of a trite like trope at this point in time um yeah. Les Edo's almost 40 isn't she is she I don't know she's she's definitely a lot younger than Daniel Craig oh god <laughs> <laughs> yeah I suppose maybe a bit older than the usual Bond girls but um they did throw I suppose they did throw Anna de Armas in there for for, for that aspect as well, um, but there's definitely been that reinvention of 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 the of the superhero slash suave hero, right? In in, mm. in so far as we've seen superheroes go from being like unimpeachable, largely men, to to maybe being a little bit more, um, a little bit more sensitive, having having to deal with struggles uh, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a, like a real in, interest in. in I think background now, isn't it? That everything is about background, like where people have come from, um, which never used to be the case. Like you said, Robin, before it used to just be like, here's a nutter who wants to take over the world, um, and here's a man who's going to stop him. Whereas now it always has to be like, this person was persecuted in this way, and his yeah. parents were treated in this way. and um, Always and, and by all... another character in the series as well. So there's always some emotional attachment, like this person used to be, you know, so so the villain in this one has some sort of past connection with Leia Seydoux's character. In the previous one, he had a he was like Bond's long lost adopted brother, and in the previous one, it was like sort of a someone who was like with close ties to Judy Dench and and stuff. It's just like this constant thing of every. It's, it's a bit like the Star Wars films where just everyone has to be a Skywalker or a, <laughs> or, or or related to Han Solo, basically. Is, is and that's all, all seemingly the only creative well that they can dip into. I do think the <laughs> the, the, the Bond films are really like a, they're sort of like a mirror. They very much they never really sort of influence films but they're very influenced by what's going on around them so you know in the, the, the sort of reboot they did with Daniel Craig a few years ago was really influenced by the like the Bourne identity and stuff and then now they are just starting to feel a bit like Avengers-y I think mm. because they're just influenced that's the kind of uh, the popular action movie of the jour mm. so what you're saying earlier was that we should make last of the summer Bond just get everyone to be like in their mid 70s and just creaking around and making it quite fun that way but there's no you know there's no um i don't know you could get, get judy dench as one of the bond girls why not and just have like peter cushing the, the reanimated corpse of peter cushing coming and doing things they, like. they, they basically did that with roger moore right when he did his last film he was in his 60s i think he had to wear a corset he, like strapped into his tuxedo Maybe what we need now is a really young Bond who has a really old Bond girl. That, that's the the final evolution of this, right? Well, just get get Aaron Taylor Johnson and his his wife, or Emmanuel Macron and his wife. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Right, uh, we should probably talk about chess at some point. Um, and so, in yeah. a bid to in a bid to arrive at chess, I'll say Phil has a quiz. Phil has a quiz, but first the news. And there is actually quite a lot happening for the first time in a while. So, firstly, uh, last week I forgot to talk about the British Championship. Uh, the main British Championship and the women's British Championship that were happening. Um, okay, so the 
proper British titles are being awarded for this tournament. Or have been awarded, because they're finished. The, uh, the women's event finished on Sunday. Not many people played. And there is definitely going to be an asterisk by these winners. Um, the total number of entrants for the men's event was 22. Or the open event, I suppose you call it, because some people played in both, sorry. The total number of entrants for the open event was 22. And only 15 of those played in the last round. And it was eventually won by Nick Pert with 6.5 out of 9, but that's kind of irrelevant. Like, it's... The main thing here is very few people playing. Should this really count? Women's event. Uh, how many do we have in that? We had a, a gentleman's 11. 11 people playing in the British Women's Championship, which is actually probably more than they've had in the in some events in the past. But like, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, Harriet Hunt came out of retirement to win that with 5.5 out of 7. But... Like, I don't know, the whole thing just seemed complete, completely silly. And um, Should they have not done it based on those numbers? I don't know, it's just, I, just don't see, like, I just don't see how we're calling this the British Championship. I mean, why run it? There's still a thousand people dying a week, I'm assuming that's why the numbers were so, so low. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit later on about how chess is just still not taking COVID seriously. Hmm. Um, and it felt like this probably should have been canned based on you don't want to run an event where they're afterwards you go well yeah asterisk by this person's name but it's not their fault they turned up they won it good for that when it's circumstances beyond the participants control I think it's uh, sort of for all the people who might normally have entered and, and, and made it a sort of more robust competitive field you can't really blame them for not entering um, no, I'm blaming I'm blaming the ECF yeah. or whoever. No, no, no. It's just plowing on. It just seems a bit. Yeah. What I mean, what I mean by that is, is sort of without wishing to actually turn this into a podcast about the NBA, when they had the uh, <laughs> when when the 2020 season was uh, was stopped halfway through, they uh, managed to finish it by doing that bubble down in in Disneyland in or Disney World in Orlando and stuff. And uh, people asked about whether or not there would be an asterisk. Uh, there, but I think people generally look back on the Lakers winning the title as actually quite legitimate, even though not all the teams were there because all of the the best teams were there, and it was, you know, it's, it, it, the circumstances were different. But I guess they were the team that that best uh, uh, best dealt with those and overcame them uh, in order to win in, in 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 that environment. Whereas I don't think you could that really applies in this instance because you can't if if just most of the players aren't even there you can't really say well the, just the, by dint of showing up these guys have kind of overcome adversity in order to sort of deserve deserve winning it so uh, yeah I, I, it does seem like it's a bit of a, a non-entity to have had 22 take part and then yeah 15 in the last round so that's yeah. what's the criteria for for the entering the British Championship do you have to be over a certain rating um, I think a lot of these might have qualified in previous years. Having said that, there was someone rated twelve sixty six in it, so I'm not entirely sure about that. How did they do? Twelve sixty six. They actually did quite well, so they must have qualified properly. It's just that's just probably a, a thing. 
Yeah, I think it's probably just a thing where they, their rating just hasn't caught up. Uh, they did quite well. Yeah, they 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 gained sixty four points and performed at twenty one twenty. So I think they're they're probably quite good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they yeah they beat a couple of FMs. So yeah, I think I think that was legit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it would be that would have been a qualification thing. Um, ironically, the participation in the senior events was actually given there. I mean, maybe that's not ironic. Maybe that's actually correct. Maybe the thing where the people who've had the jabs for the longest and maybe feel the most comfortable. I don't know, but there were there were twenty one in the over sixty fives and uh, nineteen in the over fifties. So forty people over fifty played in the uh, their senior events, which I guess is not ridiculous. Um, yeah, that seemed to be quite go quite well. Presumably, the majority of these have been vaccinated in all of the sections anyway and the i imagine there were things but yeah yeah i i would have i i'm i was slightly surprised i think that so many older people turned up to something which in, a, in an environment which is you know still close quarters etc still over the board still because my mum is my mum is 64 and she's still a bit kind of about, about lots of things having despite having had three jabs now I haven't looked at the field. How many of the top British players are actually in the open section? So we had uh, one, two, three, four GMs, four IMs. Okay. So not many, but your, your standard kind of journeyman, Perk, Gormali, Hebden, Arkle got involved. Yeah. Right. Okay. So there was no Gawain Jones or. Nobody above 2548. So. Right, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's we're back into the. There've been some events before where the other yeah, top players just haven't rocks up, presumably because they're. I don't know what the prizes were. Maybe they were lower. I'd imagine they probably were, given the complete lack of entries, because that's where most of the money would come from, to pay, to sort of supplement, and well, maybe there were just no conditions, either, but. Yeah, anyway, the British Championship has happened kind of just completely under the radar without anyone really caring about it. So, apart from the people there. But there we go, that's one bit of news. And going on to the FIDE Grand Swiss. Now, this is part of the candidates' um, qualification procedure for the 2022 World Championship. And it's due to play- take place in Latvia from Monday. Now, Latvia has the highest infection rate in the world right now. And, uh, yeah, they have basically banned all big sporting events from taking place. Now, I think a responsible um, body, if FIDE were responsible, would just bin it. Instead, they are seeking an exemption so that they can put all the players, officials and coaches and journalists at risk. What a delightful sport we we cover. I think the whole thing is disgusting. Um, and Nakamura has said that irrespective of um, what happens, he's probably not playing. And I think that is the correct, um, yeah, the correct stance to take. Because clearly, it's things are very bad there, and this whole thing where they're trying to shove through all these qualification events so that they can then have another candidates tournament this March 
so just basically shortening the cycle to a year instead of two this is inevitable is it not i mean it's uh, it just seems completely stupid yeah i mean it's it, it's it's crazy because obviously fide have said they're seeking an exemption but they you know on what grounds like an exemption that they're basically completely screwed if they don't get one like there's no there's no you know an exemption should be based on some sort of material condition which means that either you know there is there is some sort of like increased risk or or, or whatever by them not playing it or that there is they're able to do so in a way that doesn't actually sort of risk people's health neither of which seems to be the case um it's 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 it, it seems crazy I, I hope the latvian government doesn't give it to them because it's just a i hate in general to see sort of any uh, when governments are pushed around by these sort of large kind of unaccountable sporting bodies obviously everyone kind of knows about stuff like with the world cup and the olympics sort of the toll that it exacts on local municipalities and the and the sort of all the people who sort of well i guess make the lose news less who are sort of the uh, the collateral damage of, of these things and this is on a, on a kind of smaller scale it's the same sort of thing presumably riga is very keen to hold the tournament and that be you know keen to keen to have the, the the sort of big chess events there but i hope that they would sort of uh, take a sort of principled stand and, and, and say no also because then it's quite funny for, for to see fide left in the lurch yeah so let's i think we can talk a bit more about the current state of how things are taken seriously in a lot of ways but let's actually have the quiz because it's been a while since I said I would be a quiz. So let's have the quiz. Okay, so three more Rookbusters clues. And uh, yeah, you get initial and yeah, these are chess adjacent terms for these clues. So you've got the entire episode to solve them and then we'll go back and see how Robin and John and you guys have done at the end. Number one. Look, the Princess Royal is juggling. Look, the Princess Royal is juggling. And your initial there is S. Number two. There's a tiny creature next to the wicketkeeper. There's a tiny creature next to the wicketkeeper. And your initials there are M, S. Number three. Urban Music Travel Hub. Urban Music Travel Hub. And your initial there is R. So you've got those three Rookbusters clues. And John and Robin are looking terrified and gazumped. And we will see how they get on. As always. Well, should we talk a little bit more then about what we were, were talking about before the quiz? Um, I've got written on the on the running order here, taking COVID seriously. Um, so yeah, I suppose the the, the big question here is, how, yeah, how how does this Latvia event reflect on, I suppose, the wider chess calendar in terms of um, what impact should it have on, I guess, local um, chess chess games? What's what impact is it going to have in the broader chess world given that you said it's the Latvia event is a, a candidates tournament as well so that will presumably have a knock-on on the world championships in 2022 um, how much of this is just to do with trying to get things back to normality 
at a point at which we can't really get back to normality because things like pandemics tend to ebb and flow and at the moment it's flowing rather than ebbing um so yeah <laughs> what what what's your take on all of this film well yeah i mean the, the what you said there trying to get back to normality well i think we could probably do things vaguely normally insofar as having a two-year cycle but they're insisting as i said on going back to the even years so that there's another world championship in 2022 so instead of doing what i think you should do in the current climate of taking things a bit calmly and not shoehorning in millions of events within a very short period fide have actually doubled the the speed of the cycle which inevitably is going to lead to situations like this because as you say it's still going and i mean uk is an absolute fire at the moment but clearly latvia is worse it's kind of wild how how many cases we've still got today and you just got, i don't know about you robin how much you're traveling around london but like the mask uh mask rate at the moment on the tube certainly seems to be about 15 percent maybe 20 one in five people are doing it uh which i mean for like i know my own risk like it's it's not even necessarily about that anymore it's about that kind of solidarity with the with everything and it always it has been in some respects um yeah it's just very very frustrating that we have a sport that is run by people who just don't seem to care about various things we talked about the um the deal sponsorship deal with motiva three three weeks ago and this is just another thing where i think the 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 optics from fide here of instead of going well actually let's either try to move this event to a, another country or delay it and move it to another country or delay it so it can still be in Riga or finding some other solution instead they've gone oh no let's let's uh let's bully the Latvian government into letting, letting us have this super spreader event and put everyone at risk so yeah that that's just that's my current take <laughs> just it just seems it just seems completely stupid to try to continue to have another world championship next year hmm. i mean this year's this year's has already been um it's not looking amazing uh so i don't know how many people are going to be able to go to dubai to to do it or people can see it etc like, i suppose the good thing about the world championship is that there's only two people competing in it right the, the problem yeah. is is getting to a point where you can get those two people and narrowing the market down but what in the in the Best case scenario for you, then, how would you do this? Would you just simply have it as a, as a sort of floating cycle and be like, we'll get through the tournaments as and when we can get through them? And and if that means that we don't play the World Championships till 2023, then that's fine. Is, is that what you're you're saying here? Yeah, why, should why just be a bit of flexibility? Yeah, why be so rigid? Why 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 attack it? Why make make why why halve the amount of time that you traditionally have to sort it out during a global pandemic? That just seems mad. Hmm. Robin, and, you must have thoughts yeah. on this. Yeah, I mean, well, this is just classic, like, people in charge of stuff being divorced from the realities of the world. 
Um, I think when you have a, I think so much of it is just profit motive, right? When you view the sort of a, when you view the world in a through a lens of society is always benefited by what is going to be sort of like the most profitable outcome for any set of circumstances then you're going to leave yourself in situations like this like i don't think you've explicitly said it phil but it's obviously about money like you're saying you don't know why they're doing this it's like well, you do know yeah. why they're doing this it's because it's because <laughs> of money it's it's, it's and uh, and so they will have had a world a world championship match scheduled for 2022 and then they delayed the one in 2020 into 2021 but as far as they're concerned they don't want to you, you, yeah kick all of their future sort of plans down the line and, and, and they've lost a lot of revenue I would guess through the uh, through the uh, through the pandemic and so would like to recoup that rather than just writing it off entirely um, so I mean obviously that's that's why they're doing it um, it, it's clearly in, in terms of the I mean I, I, I don't think there would be too much of a problem doing like a candidates tournament and a world championship match as as John said because there are fewer people involved and that'd be fair enough so partly I would just maybe say suggest just put all the uh, people who've already qualified through into a candidates tournament maybe and then just fill up the numbers with people with the highest uh, highest ratings and then just do a candidates and, uh, and, and, and do it if they're, if they're so intent on having the the world championship match again in 2022 fine uh, but make some concessions to the fact that it is irresponsible I think to have people travelling to what you said, I'm, I'm going to take your word for it. Is the is the height is the worst hit by COVID currently in the world, uh, location wise. So um, yeah, that feels like there needs to be at least some compromise because there's, there's potential that this could get worse, right? Like if I don't know what the the next uh, next qualification event is, um, but you know, there's, you know, what happens if that if if that is similarly impacted and stuff, and then you end up where they're going to have to do all these. You know, in, in over the one over one weekend, have the Grand Swiss and the Grand Prix and all the others. Yeah, I think yeah, it 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 does seem to me strange that when you have a, a sort of outlier event like a pandemic like this, a global pandemic, that the weird thing for me has been how little license there's been to change your ideas about how things should work in the grand scheme of things. Um, and you, you know, like we talk about, I guess we talk about climate change all the, all the time in this sense, right? The, the 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 terrifying aspects of of a pandemic not changing anything. Therefore, what what hope have we got for for a, a climate change reality where the only difference is going to be made by acting before you're starting to see the impact of things? But I think the thing that I've taken away from the pandemic is that even when bad things are happening, people don't really care either. And I suppose that's that's the worrying thing for me is that is that okay maybe you can get away with like being lucky and putting and putting a sort of normal chess calendar on and, and things working their way out for you because because of just sheer luck but there doesn't really seem to have been much contingency planning um in this and it seems it almost feels as though people are thinking well you know this is just a one-off thing that's going to happen in a lifetime let's just hope it's, it's it goes away and and we can sort of get back onto onto that normal schedule afterwards but Surely, surely the takeaway from this has got to be from from big sporting organisations. We need to have contingency plans. We need to have more flexibility in the way that we approach these large tournaments, especially especially because we're so dependent on the revenue from these tournaments. Um, whereas it seems as though the logic is the other way around, which is, well, we need to get the money, so we need to do things exactly the same way that they've always been done. And I, I think that's the the worrying thing for me is that 
it, surely in the wake of a pandemic you can come out and speak to sponsors and say look we're going to have to th- rethink the way that we do tournaments we're going to have to rethink the way that we do sponsorship um, deals for these tournaments so there's going to have to be a little bit of license there going back to what you were saying robin uh, here are the numbers so uk that's i mean uk i think is second worst in europe behind latvia and the incidence rate in the uk is 434 people per 100,000 have uh, have it have tested positive latvia 870 so it's twice the pretty much exactly twice the incidence rate which is a lot uh, for because latvia i think is it's a small country it's two million quite urban um i think also uh, because it's an exponential uh thing you're considering right like having twice the case rate is like yeah. you know like multiple times that as bad so it's not just so so their r number is 1.4 right now right okay yeah. yeah that's that's high so um yeah i mean it, it well it certainly makes sense that they would be <laughs> putting in some measures to attempt to uh halt that because that is a that is um that's 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 pretty bad obviously i i i do agree with what john was saying there it's this uh it's this belief that sort of society as constituted like uh, needs to you know everything that happens has to fit into our ideas of what society Mm. should be rather than looking at the material realities of the world and then attempting to fashion a society which actually like uh, caters to those Right, so like the climate change thing, change thing, right? If you're like a you know big energy companies like Shell and BP or whatever, it's like what can we, while continuing to extract massive profits based on the, uh, you know through 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 um sort of like the Earth's natural resources, while doing that, how can we also appear to take climate change seriously rather than while taking climate change seriously, how can we still operate? Uh, sort of very much cart before horse. Um, setting and and that's obviously just what's happening happening here rather than you know how can we deal with this pandemic in a way that's best going to allow us to still play chess it's how can we uh, still play chess and then worry about the pandemic later on the local front I mean it's hard because I'm, I'm, I'm saying all this but at the same time I'm you know I'm, I'm still you know I'm playing going away to a, a tournament uh, this weekend in in Barry St Edmunds where I'll be playing chess. So I mean, it, it's much for me to say. Oh, the case rate is high, and it's it's you know, it's uh, it's uh, it, it, and it's irresponsible for FIDE to be doing this. Uh, it's you know, I mean, I, I'm sure like 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 many of our listeners, and, and I'm sure you guys have sort of done more sort of socialising and, and activities that aren't just staying indoors and, and doing sort of the most safe thing. And obviously, I guess we we live in a country where the government has pretty much relaxed all of the rules for this uh, for, for, for good or for ill um, mm. uh, and stuff so it, it is a bit, it's a bit different circumstances but it is just a, it is a, it is, it's, it's tough mm. yeah vaccination vaccination and insular is our approach isn't it basically so yeah. um, just looking up your the incidence rate for Bury St Edmunds <laughs> <laughs> so if it's higher than 800 are we saying Robin can't go ooh quite high so the yeah the average yeah as we know is about four hundred and thirty across the UK. Incidence rate per hundred thousand people in Bury St Edmunds six hundred and two. <laughs> wow. So two good luck. Of, two thirds of a Latvia that is. That's a. Uh, I'm a. Uh, I like to live dangerously. <laughs> I guess the, uh, the the hope is that the, most of the people who aren't there 
aren't from Bury St Edmunds, so we might get a slightly lower incidence rate. Um, but yeah, I guess this is how spreading events happen. But anyway, um, should we should we move on? On the running order, I've, I've, got Robin, I've got Robin's organic bobbin store written down. Now, this is in light of the fact that that with Robin being on the on the podcast slightly more frequently now, we need to have a section for Robin, and we haven't really decided what it is. So, um, I, I suppose we will. The idea is that we will, and the reason why we've written organic down is because we expect this section to emerge organically from we are improv we are improv performers (laughs) we are improv performers so we are hoping that this will organically arrive the reason my bobbin store is written down there is because phil has a fascination with rhyming phrases um and so he has decided that everyone who has a section must have a rhyming phrase and obviously the only thing that rhymes with robin is bobbin so um yeah we're, we're, we're somewhat hamstrung by by the semantic difficulties as well so um um, I don't know if, if you guys have had any thoughts about what Robin's organic bobbin store could be. But <laughs> I, I, I thought this section being on here was a joke, so I have not, in fact, prepared this. But it may have my name by it, but Phil is responsible for this. I, I yeah. think we could do something. I think maybe Robin's organic bobbin store could be an invitation to send us your chess memorabilia or chess kind of artifacts and then robin basically what was that was that a show in the 80s and early 90s that like um reviewed games what was that called they'd like go through the game and then you'd get this like specky becky bam at the end saying oh three out of ten not enough not enough killing I think this may be before Robin's time. Yeah, uh, I was born I, in the early 90s. So. <laughs> I never had a TV growing up, so I think this one's mainly on you, Phil. Okay, so but yeah, I think I think that could be a thing where you guys send us pictures of your chest tat, and then once a week, Robin just reviews it. Maybe that could be Robin's organic Bobbin store. He gets to choose whether it, these these artifacts, this tat, goes into Robin's organic Bobbin store, <laughs> and we can have that on our website. Would yeah. I stock this chest tat? Yeah, okay. there are prizes if your uh, if your chest hat is in fact organic. That will be a, a serious <laughs> plus in my eyes. I don't. Th- I think we don't even keep it to to a chest hat. I think it's just any tat. You can send Robin anything to <laughs> just... to, <laughs> to review to put in his store. Um, just give Robin assorted random objects that we have to try and yeah. talk about. Tweet me your objects <laughs> at Robin C Sarfas. At Robin's Organic Bobbin Store on Twitter. Um, yes, that 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 would be fun. Um, and yeah, I suppose the, the the this will be becoming a a more regular feature. So do get in touch with us and send send us your pictures of tat, and Robin will review them. The next thing on the running order here says a silly question, but I imagine this is going to now be relatively serious question after <laughs> uh, after the organic well, yeah. bobbins. Yeah, I suppose it probably will be relatively serious. I haven't really thought of one, but uh, I suppose what I'm trying to do these days is is pull a question out of your the, the topics that we've been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, always that. But um, this is our improv episode, after all. Yeah, I, I'm thinking a lot about the 
the scheduling um, aspect of chess then if you want a serious silly question but obviously the way that the calendar is set up nominally is that you have the world championships as as the the peak and then you have the candidates to get to the world championship and we've talked about that that sort of relationship before how how it's quite different to the way that most other sports determine a champion right there's not many um, sporting events where you 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 go we'll have a tournament to determine who the challenger to the world championship will be usually it's everyone sort of works their way through and the winner is the, is the champion but I'm interested in like the wider concept then because then you have you have a certain amount of events which lead up to the the, the, the candidates um, and, and I suppose the chess calendar roughly works around that with, with then alternate standalone tournaments thrown in there um, so I suppose my silly question is would you do you like this system and if you could reinvent the chess calendar would you and how would you do it I think I'd go back to the old zonals, interzonals, and just have it as a kind of serious. Because uh, there is a certain amount of elitist. It's inevitable. You, there's a certain qualification path that are only open to 15, 16 people who get invited to like the main grand tour. Hmm. And I'm not sure that's correct. I think that the only way, I mean, the only way that someone can get through to the candidates is either through the World Cup or this Grand Swiss like a, just a, a civilian can get in uh, and I'm not sure that's correct um, I think that there needs to be some other more I don't know like structured way of doing it I mean, I mean having said that the, the World Championship cycles in the past were, took forever uh, they yeah. took a long time, so there'd be a way of doing it. But do you think we do? You think we'd see see different participants in the candidates? though if we did that, like sure, the reason that the, the chess does have a, a quite a uh, it's quite hierarchical in the sense that there are sort of top players who can kind of compete at that level. Once you, you know, when you when you watch tournaments, right, it's, it's very clear even the gap between sort of someone who's like fourth or fifth in the world and someone who's like 20th. And so if, if you are seeking to just get the strongest, the, the, it does sort of seem a little bit like the whole process is a bit convoluted for the fact that we basically know that there's only a handful of players who really are likely to actually end up winning the candidates like it feels like you could just pick roughly who should be in the candidates and do it and then you would probably get the same players playing for the world championship anyway as you do now with this very long system so I think it's yeah. quite arbitrary one one thought I, I I have on this is that maybe there should be I think then perhaps should be more world championship matches maybe it should be more like boxing where you uh, where where it's sort of you just you you have sort of a I don't know you could even ha- we you could take it back to sort of like nineties or two thousands era chess as well where you have different belts. No, I've given it. I've given it. I've given it. I'm giving a silly answer to a to an action, to a serious question now. Um, but it, uh, I guess, I wouldn't mind weight would divisions. That means I could maybe win a chess world championship just by aiming to eat as much as I possibly could, <laughs> getting into a category no one else is in. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think there's a few interesting things here. One, one of them is right: is a tournament improved by having outliers in it? And I suppose you can go back to the last time around's candidates with 
uh, Alexenko in it and, and ask whether or not that's like is that worth it um and I suppose this is a question which is being asked now of, of the Football World Cup, which is obviously FIFA want to make it as big as possible because they want to milk it for as much as it's worth. And so the big argument is, well, you know, if it's a World Cup, then everyone should be able to, everyone should be able to enter. We should be able to feasibly have anyone within the world entering. And and then the question becomes, well, you know, like what do you actually benefit the final tournament itself by having you know minnows in there and just games where it's turned over dead easy uh, but the other thing is is it is way too elitist as you said phil it's like it, it it it's so hard for anyone outside that group to to get where they are and, I, and whilst i appreciate that you know maybe that that is a natural filtering process i i do think the filtering is at the more extreme end and i think it could definitely be, be benefited by the fact that it's not even like it's not even like okay Bob from from down the street isn't ever going to get a chance of getting into the chess world championships because that's obvious but I think there's there's very good chess players who presumably have their careers like impacted by the the difficulty that it is to actually play at the highest level um uh, uh, there's two points there the, the the one you talked about there in terms of like the world cup and 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 saying oh it should be in theory we should have sort of more diverse range of teams in there is, is kind of i think is uh is on the part of bodies like fifa or fide is is very disingenuous right because they don't actually care about that yeah, they yeah. just care about expanding the tournament to make money and so that's kind of a whether or not you see, see that argument is is valid i don't think it's one that's presented in good faith yeah not i'm not saying that by you on the, on your part but i mean no, no, in, no. in general and my point and my point there was simply that the right the question then has yeah. to be is there a yeah. benefit to just the, yeah. the the level of entertainment for the people watching yeah. it yeah and uh, and i would say pr- probably not and uh, and i do uh, in terms of having just people who really like don't but you know are not of a comparable strength at, uh, at that level it's kind of like in, it's like just having more you know because in the world cup it's just going to amount to more group games where really really small nations are going to get beaten like 5-0 right and is that adding value to the to the tournament probably not and similarly if you have I mean Alexienko again is obviously a very very strong chess player but he was obviously uh, like clearly had had no chance of of, of winning the tournament in that field he he, he got a couple of okay results and it's probably you know good for him uh, to to be there but I don't necessarily think that it added more value than it would have done to have someone like for example Wesley So or Tamor Rajabov in his in his spot but then in your in your point about it being elitist I, I agree that in general more should be it would be great if there was more done so that more people could make a living from chess and more people could you know maximize their chess potential by playing full time and I'm sure there are lots of players who potentially could have reached a higher level had they not had sort of the, the, the fact that they couldn't sustain their chess career uh, and things like that but when you were, we're talking about the cycles for the world championship itself to, to, to describe it as elitist in a negative sense I think is sort of missing the point because like the whole the whole issue thing is is that the world championship is for the elite of of chess players and 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 so you know I'm, I'm not against having opportunities like the grand swiss where players like like wang hao qualified last time and it's obviously again a very strong player qualified via the grand swiss when he would have been unlikely to sort of through the other means um but I, I think surely the goal is ultimately to f- find the eight strongest potential challengers to Magnus Carlsen and then have them compete for, 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 for the right to actually take part in the World Championship. I feel, I feel like if we're... Uh, I, I, don't, I feel like otherwise we're getting away from what the goal of the, the World Championship cycle is. I, I guess where I would disagree with that is that you're suggesting that like players have an innate level 
And I th- my argument is more that you are going to benefit from being able to play in better tournaments and therefore get to better levels if there's a little bit more of, of a, a, bil- a possibility of moving between those levels. So, yes, you know, at the moment, you want to see the best players, those those um, two, two, 2,700 plus players getting in there. But the question that I have really is, like, to what extent does the current tournament system prevent players who are below that threshold from actually making it up because they're they're never able to play against those players with the regularity that will make them better players. I don't necessarily think it's a cut and dried argument. I'm just saying that there are there is a there is a case to be made that if you aren't if you are segregating the best players from everyone else, you're putting everyone else at a disadvantage of ever reaching that top top group. Yeah, Phil. I mean, I guess this is uh, this is something that you would probably have more insight on than John or I, having actually played much more sort of serious chess and and, and just knowing the chess circuit a lot better. Do you think that that is a big Barrier, lack of opportunities for sort of cross fertilization of, of between sort of the absolute top players and then the sort of chasing pack of, I guess, uh, you know, 2600 something, something grandmasters. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even the, the people in the sort of lower reaches of the 2700 club or high yeah. 2600s, people like Gawain and David don't necessarily get the, the invites that they merit slash would automatically get in another sport so someone coming through from the world's top 50 let's look at Cameron Norrie this week who's just won the Indian Wells tennis the thing with tennis and golf is that they have yes they're limited fields but they're fields that are you know you have qualification for these major events as well so they're probably looking at 100 130 uh, entrants or people who've own the right to qualify for these events and you've got the there's something with the challenger series below it isn't there where if you do it well enough then you get wild cards for various things um so there's but there's no real it's very hard for even players and just outside the world top 50 say to really make that that jump. and david lost to Wang how in the last round of the fide ground swiss two years ago david howell yeah, yeah david howell would have would have qualified had he won that game yeah. for the candidates. So he was close, but that's yeah. uh, as close as he, he used to come and possibly might ever come, which is mad because he's just not. Uh, I don't know. There's this certainly a thing, yeah, around that level where these are clearly players who can mix it up, but because it's just such a tiny number who play in these very elite events. It's just ring fenced naturally, and uh, yeah, obviously the whole thing with we're trying to get the best challenger for Carlson, or we're trying to find the best two players to duke it out over three or four weeks or whatever. I still think, yeah, I think you would get the cream rising to the top, of course. But why would you have this initial ring fencing that just denies players who are of well, fr- I mean, frankly, of Alexienko's ability? And he got in as a wild card, uh, oh. who are then automatically ring fenced. The whole system kind of—I'm not sure it works. I mean, going back to the World Cup thing, uh, the football. What FIDE had to do, FIDE, <laughs> what FIFA had to do, and UEFA have done since, is respond to world geopolitics and the breakup of the Soviet Union, the breakup of Yugoslavia, and other. Uh, the emergence, perhaps, of Africa as the 
and Asia as two major footballing centres and adjust the coefficients and adjust the number of qualification players and adjust the number of teams in the number of nations in the finals tournament from 24 to 32 and then I mean Euros have gone from 8 to 24 in like what 24 years I think 1992 was 8 teams and then 2016 was 24 uh, just simply because there's just an enormous number of countries in Europe now uh, that's so that's a, I think that as a, an equivalence doesn't quite apply. But having said that, there hasn't been a major shift in geopolitics in the last 10 years. And they, the, the expansion to 48 teams, I think, would be too many. I don't think it would work. Um, but that's kind of what's happened recently. But FIDE, I keep saying FIDE, I mean FIFA. They're basically the same thing, aren't they? This is, what you basically have is yeah the... Them having seen seen the money, the money's coming in, and then they want to get more of it, and yeah, it's uh, it's always going to be about that, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, I, I I do agree with you in the sense that like there should be I I, I guess maybe it, there needs to be more of a decoupling from the World Championship cycle and just being innately tied to all of like the major tournaments in chess. I guess like it is. So have like you a know, Grand Prix for the Opens mm. that maybe like they're doing like, golf yeah. with the PGA. Yeah, so you have you have like tournaments that are standalone tournaments in themselves, but you get points from those tournaments and then base your candidates' tournament on the point system there, and then do the World Championship from that. Yeah, like the ATP Tour Finals. Cameron Norrie yeah. is in good shape to qualify for these elite season-ending event, uh, having been yeah world number whatever at the beginning of the year. Uh, yeah. That doesn't exist. So maybe yeah, some kind of Grand Prix style thing where yeah, it encourages these players to play and encourages these players to win, and you're going to increase hopefully the the quality of these tournaments as well. Yeah, we, obviously, we want the the only barrier to success for, for for any player to just be how well they play. I think that's we mm. can obviously agree on that, and so we should make it as easy as possible for a player who is actually playing at a commensurate standard to gain access to as you say elite events I do I do agree with that and there may well be again not being familiar enough there may well be sort of an issue uh, with that uh, I think that just specifically in the realm of the candidates tournament though I think that the issue is is, is obviously you you can only play so many uh, world championship matches right just because of the preparation that gets involved it starts becoming a big disadvantage to the I think the to the sort of person to the incumbent like they're favoured massively at the moment but it becomes a big disadvantage if they have to prepare for lots of different world championship matches against different players and then all those different players only have to prepare for one game uh, against him so if you did have it sort of like more boxing style which is why that's a kind of facetious point to make so you, if you could only have can, uh, world championship matches you know even maximum maybe once a year you could do so then you want to make sure that you have the best challengers selected you don't want to have just a whole world championship cycle where you you don't want to introduce too much variability into it and give someone you know someone just has a puncher's chance and then somehow gets through to like face magnus like like we, you talked about david Howe there right like sure if he if he plays well enough it would be great for, to see someone like him uh you know playing the candidates and stuff but at the same time i feel like we we probably would all agree that if he actually played a world championship match against magnus carlson like he would, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be be good, and 
it, w- it wouldn't be a sort of a, a, a good spectacle uh, in terms of it being competitive and, mm. and, and, and so you don't want to make it such that just sort of not just anyone but just that it, it, you get sort of real outside right rank outsiders mm. getting through to the, the world championship anyway, yeah, it's got to be a filtering system but you don't want the filtering system to yeah. negate yeah. people um, getting getting good yeah. um, I'm going to end end us here because I think we could talk about this for a lot longer but um, we should end this podcast as we always do by going to the quiz answer so Phil has the answers to a quiz okay so guys how have we got on number one look the princess royal is juggling and your initial there was S any ideas I don't uh, know who the princess royal is don't you? Is it Anne? Yes. Is it Anne? So is it C Anne? C Anne? C Anne? Chetto? C Anne? C Anne? Why would she be juggling? What would she be if she's juggling? A clown? Yeah, what are clowns? Joke? Jokers? Clowns are uh, silly. C silly Anne. Sicilian. C silly. <laughs> what? <laughs> I barely understand that now you've explained it to me. C silly Anne. Okay, yeah, Sicilian. Yeah. There's that a tiny tough. creature next to the wicketkeeper. M S. Might. No. Mouse. Yes. Wicketkeeper. I was thinking like Stuart. Yeah, Mouse Stewart. The famous <laughs> chess player, Mouse Stewart. Mickey Adams. MS. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Saddams. I was so focused on Mouse. Yeah, it's Mouse something. Who stands next to the wicketkeeper? Oh, Slip. Mouse Slip. Mouse Slip. Oh, yeah. mouse slip. <laughs> there we go. Um, number three. Urban Music Travel Hub. R. Rap. Rapport. Rapport. Yes, Rapport. So we had Sicilian, Mouse Slip, and Rapport. If you got any or all of those at home, well done. And you're probably. You probably should go and get checked out by somebody if you have. If, <laughs> you got you, the first if, you, one. if you're on, the, you... on my level there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we should give a prize if anyone legitimately got the first one. Um, but yeah, this has been fun. It's been long for us, so um, I will, without further ado, close. Get used up. to that, chaps. <laughs> yeah, um, but if you like our stuff and you want to see more of it, then head over to our website, which is chesspitpod.com. Um, or if you like to keep up with us on social media, then Twitter is a place to go. Head over to at chesspitpod over there, and there's plenty of stuff going up as well. Thanks, as always, to Playfair Capital, our sponsors. Playfair Capital is one of London's leading venture capital funds. And with that, we arrive at the end of the podcast. All there is for me to do is to say thank you, Phil. Thank you. And thank you, Robin. Thank you. And thank you a lot for listening in. (laughs) 